Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. I am Rabbi Ari Kievman. It's great being with you here today. The previous song was Ani Avdecha Ben Amatecha. And actually the author, the composer of it is King David. What I'd like to do today with you is to introduce you a little bit into the ancestry of King David. Because you know, there is a book that we read on Shavuos. It's called The Book of Ruth. And we know the story, and perhaps I could just tell you the story in a nutshell, because Ruth was a princess who was raised in the pagan palace of the Moabite monarch, King Eglon. He was his, she was his granddaughter, and he was the son of Balak, who was the king of Moab. They're actually cousins of ours. Maybe we'll get to that just now. So she insisted on forfeiting the opulence and luxury of good royal life back in Moab and instead joining her destitute mother-in-law on a journey to the land of Israel. And there she becomes one of us. There she embraces the Jewish religion, the Jewish faith. And in a sense, we each have some elements of Ruth. We're forced to choose between comforts and ideals, between expedience and conviction, between one thing and another. And that aspect is something that provides tremendous inspiration. And in fact, if you study the Torah, not as his story, but as our story, then you could glean tools to rise to the occasion, to make wise decisions. And the book of Ruth was written by the prophet Shmuel, Samuel the prophet. The reason he wrote this polemic book of King Ruth, of, of Ruth, is because the king at that time, the one whom he selected to replace King Saul was his son-in-law, David Amalek. But King David's Jewishness, the status of a Jewish identity was being questioned. And the reason was because he is a great-grandson of Ruth. And some, you know, there's always that one in the shul who likes to give the rabbi a hard time, that heckler. Well, there were hecklers in his time too. And they were questioning his Jewish identity. And that's why the prophet Shmuel chose to write this book of Ruth to show exactly, yes, indeed, he is a descendant of Ruth. And Ruth was not Jewish, but she did convert to Judaism. And that's why... Samuel the prophet writes this book to show us the, the, the history of Ruth, how she became Jewish. And that story is one that is important for us to learn on Shavuos. In fact, there are multiple reasons why the book of, of Ruth is read on Shavuos. And perhaps we could cover some of those ideas and maybe learn a little bit about the history of Ruth in order to understand why we're reading it on Shavuos and to see the relevance of that book in our lives today. You see, many um, Shavuos is going to be next week, Saturday night. And throughout the night, we study, we learn Torah. So the book of Ruth then is read on Shavuos day. And many wonder, what is its relevance? Let me share with you a few ideas of why we read the book. And then let's talk about its messages and lessons in our lives. Firstly, as we're going to see within the story of Ruth that she personally accepted the Torah when she decides to go on the Jewish journey. So to summarize, for those who aren't familiar, the story of Ruth is one where maybe I should even read to you a little bit of the text of the story 
just so you get a good understanding. So if you have the book of Ruth, we'll start with the first chapter, the first verse. It happened in the days when the judges judged. If you look at Jewish history, there were different periods. After the leadership of Moshe Rabbein of Moses, he carried the baton is passed on to Joshua, Yehoshua. And then we have various judges who are leaders in their time until King Saul becomes the first Melech, the first Jewish king. So we're in that period of judges. One of the illustrious judges at that time was a man by the name of Eli Melech. His wife's name was Naomi. Now in order to be a Jewish judge, the Torah says one is not allowed to be corrupted by bribery and therefore one needed to be independently wealthy. Indeed, Elimelech was financially independent and he was affluent. Now, unfortunately, when we don't abide by the laws of the Torah, as anyone who will be at Shul the Shabbos or follow along in the Torah portion of Bechukosai, and you can see it in more detail in Deuteronomy in the portion of Kitavo, you'll see that there are various curses that unfortunately befall us when we are not at a good place. And one of those curses is drought and famine. And that's exactly what happened to the Jewish people at that time for neglecting their observance of Torah, for abandoning the performance of mitzvahs. So there was a terrible drought, a famine in the land of Israel. What do you do? By the way, according to Jewish law, the Talmud discusses this. If you have funds, you got to look after your family. If there's a tornado, as is going on in the States now, you look after your family, you take care of them, you bring them to safe keeping. However, if you are the leader, then you can't just look after your family. You have a responsibility to the community. The captain of the ship leaves last. However, Elimelech decides, why should I stick around and have everybody begging me for alms? Instead, he decides to take his family and to leave the land of Israel. And they go to one of the neighboring countries, a place called Moab. Perhaps if we have a chance later, we could talk about how it got its name, and who were the people of Moab, like I mentioned before. They were cousins of ours, relatives, descendants of Lot. So, Elimelech, along with his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Machlon and Kilion, are now living in Moab. And they think, well, we've got the wealth, we got the funds, but things don't work out as well. And Elimelech starts losing his money. In the meantime, his children get married. It's a question whether they married whether they converted their wives. The son Machlon marries Ruth, and the son Kilia marries a woman by the name of Orpah. They were both Moabite princesses, daughters or granddaughters of King Eglon. Unfortunately, during this time, Elimelech, the judge, passes on, and his wife and children mourn for him, but then tragically, both their sons, Machlon and Kilian, also die. And now Naomi is left bereft, bereaved. She's there without her husband and without her children. And she decides that it's not good to stay in this foreign land. She hears that there's no longer a famine in Israel. And she decides she's going to leave Moab. And she is going to return to the land and the people that her husband and she had abandoned years before. And so she turns to her daughters-in-law. And she says, I'm sorry, I'm going to leave you. You guys stay here. Enjoy a good life. I'm going back home. They say, home is where they let you in. Although she wasn't sure how well she'll be welcomed and embraced, 
but she was determined to go back to Israel. In the meantime, her daughters-in-law accompany her back to the land, and they seemingly want to join her in Israel. The three of them are starting on their journey, but on the way, Naomi is urging Orpah and Rus. She says, please go back to Moab. Don't come with me. Now, at the beginning, initially, Ruth and Orpah are both accompanying her and saying, no, no, very polite, we want to come with. But when Naomi presses them further, and she's really attempting to dissuade them from continuing with her, that's when Orpah acquiesces to her mother-in-law, she kisses her goodbye. She says, hasta la vista, goodbye, And that's it. Orpa goes back to her land, to her culture, to her people, to her idols, to whatever she's used to. Ruth, however, insists on staying with Naomi and accompanying her back to Beit Lechem, to the place where she comes from in Israel and it is a very interesting story that happens from there. You see, if you go into the book of Ruth and continue reading the story, we see what happens next. They go through struggles and difficulties. And to tell the story, it's not a very long story. You can read it yourself. It's only four chapters. Ultimately, Ruth and Naomi are residing in Israel under very harsh, difficult conditions. Imagine her fall from grace where before moving to Moab, they were affluent, they were wealthy, they were illustrious leaders in the community, very prominent, and now no longer in that great standing. Now they're completely impoverished, destitute, and Ruth has to go collecting from what Jewish law says we have to leave for the poor. She's collecting the lekka those are the different provisions the Torah tells us that one has to leave in their fields for the less fortunate than oneself. And when we're back, we'll explore some of those elements of the story and perhaps discuss why it is that we read the story on Shavuos and maybe analyze, dissect some of the details of the story and find the relevant messages to our lives. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. Very important message from Chai FM. In these challenging times, many people are under pressure. And for some, it can all become way too much. Who does one turn to? Chai FM will be starting a helpline later this year. And we're looking for compassionate, caring volunteers to train as call center counselors. If you have a background or an interest in counseling and you want to find out more, email helpline chaifm.com. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of serving our community. And we'll continue our discussion about Ruth and the story as we told it over in a nutshell. What happens next as the story itself, as we look at it, there are many decision points. And if we wanted to just look at some of those decision points, we got to think about Elimelech and Naomi leaving the land of Israel where they were leaders. Like I said, halachically speaking, according to Jewish law, if there is difficulty, if there's challenging times, you got to look after your family first. However, considering Elimelech being a leader in the community, his decision to move away with his family to Moab, and that is one very difficult decision to think about. Yes, it's a severe famine, and people are struggling, but it's the leader's job. The leader is in a position where he could help others, and he shouldn't be the one disappearing. I think his actions 
suggest that he is narcissistic, cares for himself. And perhaps that's one decision point we have to think about, that when one is a leader in the community, what their priorities should be. Is it saying, I don't want others coming after me? Or perhaps they have an owe, an obligation to society and to the community and to say that I'm going to assist others, whether it's financially, food, emotionally, psychologically, whatever way it is, you got to, as a leader, instill that faith, optimism during the hard times. Maybe it's one of these great initiatives that Chai FM is here for the community for, and it's great that the community came out last week to support the community, to support our community's only Jewish radio station. I hope it stays that way, you know, you want it to be that way. And to see that Elimelech instead chooses to look after himself, to protect his own wealth, to only worry about his family, I think that element of looking after his own comfort versus his obligation and duty to the community is certainly a decision point. Again, is it a crime? Well, like I said, the Gemara says that it's you're allowed to look after your family, but when you're the leader, you should be concerned with the community. And perhaps tragically, that's why he experiences the terrible, he dies prematurely, his children do, and it's very sad. Then we look at a second, a second decision point point, which is the story of Ruth. Ruth has to decide if she going to do what her sister-in-law Orpah does, staying back in Moab, or is she going to cling to her mother-in-law, to Naomi, as she does. And that, again, is another decision point which we could analyze and think about. Is it a crime, what Orpah did, staying behind in Moab, in her culture where she comes from? I mean, that seems like a, leg- a logical decision to make. What, what What's there to gain by abandoning your family? In fact, since the Moabite people were arch enemies of the Jews, it probably wouldn't fit very well with her family. And if things don't work out, imagine she wants to go back home, probably would not be very, very well for her. So to think here about this decision to make, to go as an alien in a foreign land without any decent financial prospects. Remember, her mother-in-law Naomi now is destitute herself. Abandoning her family in Moab probably means that she herself is left without financial support. She has no husband to look after her. And just imagine and bear in mind how those days, how women were so dependent on their husband's support. This was a different time period. And think about this isn't so easy for her to make this decision. And it's, again, another decision point which we can look after. Now, Orpah not coming with, again, is that a crime? I don't think so. But what was Ruth thinking? According to the Talmud, Ruth, like I mentioned, is the granddaughter of King Eglon of Moab. And she's leaving her royal opulence, the luxury that she experienced back in Moab. She willingly left everything behind, her wealth, her status, all the comforts and familiarities of her culture. And there she is, going to a foreign land, to the land of Israel, and possibly even stereotyped and stigmatized there because of Naomi and her husband abandoning the flock, abandoning the people. So, again, she looks past 
the brokenness and poverty of her mother-in-law Naomi. And as anyone, if you're familiar with the verses where she says very clearly, where you go, I'll go, she tells Naomi, your people are my people, where you stay, that's where I'll stay, your God is my God, where you die, that's where I will die, and there I'll be buried. It is a very powerful declaration of hers where she basically expresses her commitment to joining the Jewish people. Now, there's another important point that is relevant in this entire story, and I'm not sure if everyone is familiar with this element, and it's one that I want to share with you. It is the law of the levirate marriage, and I'm just giving this as a prefatory remark in order for one to understand the next part of the story that is in the book of Ruth that's worthwhile exploring and understanding in order to get the complete picture of the story, and then we can understand why we read this book on Shavuos. So, let me share with you firstly a biblical rule. Who are the people of Moab? The Torah tells us that a Moabite cannot marry into the Jewish nation. So, historically, they are relatives of ours. You see, Avram had a nephew, Lot. And if you remember the story when God Almighty decided to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their narcissism, because of their crime and corruption. So, them, Avram begs God to to save the city and ultimately he's only successful in persuading God that his nephew Lot and family should be saved. The angel comes to rescue them and Lot's wife is looking back and she turns into a pillar of salt because looking at the misfortune of the people behind her. One of the kids in the class I was telling the story to, he says, big deal, my mom turned back while driving and she turned into a telephone pole. Okay. So we see here the, just to give you the historical background, Lot's daughters decided they didn't realize, they don't know what's going on. Maybe it's like the flood in the time of Noah. And so they feel that they have to cohabit with their father in order to perpetuate his seed, in order to ensure that there is a future to humanity, to homo sapiens in this world. And he's the only man who they see as a survivor. And so they sleep with him that night. And both of them become pregnant with their father Lot. One daughter names her child Moab, which means, Ma'av for my father, you were born. And the other one calls her child Amon, which means a great nation. And so here you have their father or grandfather Lot. Interesting shidduch going on there. Both, and they, as you could look at the ancestry, if you look at the family lineage, they're relatives of ours. However, when we fast forward a little bit to the history of the Jews wandering in the desert, and we traveling through the wilderness, we pass by the nations of Ammon and Moab, and what happens? We ask them for bread and water, we say we'll pay them for it, and they refuse. Instead, they outright refuse to sell us bread and water. Not only that, they hire the sorcerer, Bilam, to curse us. And who's the king of the Moabite people? It's Balak. And he is the great-grandfather of Ruth. So there you get the family ancestry. And the Torah prohibits 
a Moabite from marrying it to the Jewish people. The Talmud tells us this only refers to the male Moabites, not the female Moabites. Hence, it was okay for Ruth to convert to Judaism. And we're going to look at one other important element before I get back into the Ruth when we're right back. Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. And welcome back to Soul to Soul. We are exploring the story of Ruth. And so far we went into Ruth and Naomi returned to Israel. And now Ruth is the one collecting the food that is left behind in the fields of Boaz. And I said in order to proceed, I would like to introduce two concepts. The first one we talked about was that the Moabite people are not, not allowed to marry Jews. Even if a Moabite converts to Judaism, could only marry a fellow Moabite or Ammonite. And although Ruth was from Moab, we explained that the Talmud tells us this ban, this restriction of Moabite marrying Jews only applies to the male Moabites, not to the female. Another important element is a Jewish law that says, the law of Yibum. If a married but childless man passes away, then there's a mitzvah for his deceased brother. Now, halachically speaking, it's not only brother, but if there is no brother, then the next of kin relative to marry that childless widow of the brother or relative. Now, if we go back a little bit here, we know that Ruth and Ruth and Naomi's son, Machlan, were married, but did not have any children. Now, if they don't want to marry, if they do marry, that is called Yibum. If they do not want to marry, that is called Chalitza. Today, the laws of Yibum are no longer practiced, but the laws of Chalitza still apply, which means if, and it's happened multiple times, it still occurs if a man dies childless, a married man dies childless, then his brother-in-law or next to given relative performs Chalitza with the widow. So, this ceremony is one that would have to be performed with Ruth by a brother. But because there was no brother, remember, Kilian, the brother, passed away. So who is going to perform this mitzvah? Well, as I said, the mitzvah now falls upon the next of kin relative. So Ruth is going every day to the fields of Boaz and she is collecting those foods that we mentioned before. We're talking about the sheaves, the grains, the ears, and she's collecting them there in Boaz's fields. And Boaz seems to take a liking toward her. Boaz recognizes her. And now Ruth is advancing. Ruth is connecting. They are cultivating a relationship with each other. Now, what season does this happen? We know that all Jewish holidays are connected with a particular season. It happens in this season. The Jewish, the harvest season in Israel is between Pesach and Shavuos. So all this is going on during this season, and that's why she's collecting the food that is left behind in Boaz's field. Cut a long story short, the end of the harvest season is coming near, and Ruth proposes to Boaz. If you want to know... How the proposal happens? Well, you're going to have to read the book of Ruth. However, Boaz is, or actually, you could join me 
on Monday evening at 7 p.m. when we have the Jewish Learning Institute, where you will have the opportunity to delve into the Medrash of Ruth and learn some fascinating, powerful lessons for life that we could glean from the story, which we've been going through very quickly. Now, Boaz doesn't immediately accept Ruth's proposal in marriage. He says, you know something, I really like you, but I got to tell you that we have another living relative who, interestingly, he doesn't mention by name. He just calls him Ploni Almoni. Do you know what Ploni Almoni means? It's sort of John Doe, so-and-so in Judaism. And he says to her, Hey, I am going to be this relative of, of your, of mine. He actually, it seems like from the verse, his name is Tov, but I'm not going to go into the details now his name, but he refers to him as Ploni Almoni. And he says, he is the first, he's a closer relative. In fact, he is my uncle. So remember, Boaz is a first cousin of Machlan. He's the nephew of Elimelech. Whereas the uncle is a brother of Elimelech. And so an uncle is a closer relative than a cousin. The uncle should have that first opportunity of a hand of marriage to Ruth. And don't forget, marriage is not just marriage. It also includes the inheritance of the estate. So Boaz offers his uncle, Tov, or Ploni Amoni, the first opportunity to marry, but he says, hey, this Ruth doesn't come from a yichus, from a lineage that I'm excited about. And so I will forfeit not only the marriage, but I will also forfeit the inheritance, the estate that comes with the marriage. And so he gives Ploni that, uh, Boaz gives Ploni that first right of refusal. And now it is Boaz who is going to have the opportunity. And he marries Ruth. What happens next? Firstly, if you want to just analyze the story a little bit about it here, we all know how incredibly difficult it is to change a status quo, right? To stem the tide of popular opinion. And although we told the story very briefly, we see here that Ruth coming from Moab and Moab not being the most welcome amongst the Jewish people. There's a certain status quo that she has and Boaz stands up for what he feels is right. It's not necessarily what everyone else thinks. That's what Boaz does. And you got to think about that here to putting it into the context that it's from this marriage of Boaz to Ruth that who's born they have a child named Obed. And Obed is the father of Jesse, Yishai. And his youngest child is none other than David HaMelech. So this decision of Boaz to marry Ruth is what leads to the birth of King David, from whom is the line of Jewish royalty. And that's what leads the prophet Shmuel, to write this book, to, to tell us that no one should cast any aspersions to debate the legitimacy of King David's Jewish status, Jewish identity. And here you look at Ploni, the uncle, who says, I am not going to risk my reputation in marrying Ruth. You look at the story and you see how Boaz is going against the tide. How Boaz is willing to fulfill the mitzvah, even if it's not the most popular thing at the time. 
So, please God, next week I want to go through some of the details, but some people are asking me here to just please tell you why we read this on Shavuot. So let's quickly go through a few things here. We see that Ruth personally accepted the Torah when she decided to continue with Naomi, and that her embracing the Jewish nation, the Jewish faith, the Torahs, which that is conversion to Judaism. In a sense, we are all converts to Judaism as on Shavuos we accepted God's Torah, the mitzvahs. Secondly, King David, who is the great-grandson of Boaz and Ruth, was born and passed away on Shavuos, so it's appropriate to read the book of their history on Shavuos. Another thing we see is that Ruth demonstrated her willingness to to suffer deprivations for the sake of embracing the Torah, what she was willing to do to commit to Judaism. And that, I think, is a telling message for us about our recommitment to Torah observance on the holiday of Shavuos. Of course, Shavuos is referred to in the Torah as the Harvest Festival. And when most of this book happens is during the period of the harvest. I think some other important lessons we could look here is we see the kindness, the charity that are foundations of the book of Torah. And we see that theme running throughout the book of Ruth. Firstly, we see it in Elimelech's uh, lack of kindness. And we do see it in Boaz, in his nephew's exemplary behavior in his kindness to Ruth, which leads to the final elements in the book of Ruth. I think if you want to look at the story and study the story, then you can find some real deep messages. Or you could just join me on Monday evening at Santon Central Show at 7 p.m., where we are going to explore some deeper elements to the book of Ruth, and you will get the great messages and lessons. Until then, my dear friends, wishing you a good Shabbos and Carpe Diem.